So we've been looking this Advent uh, and before at the um, Old Testament book of Ruth, and today we are uh, going to look at Ruth uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 18. And one of the things that is uh, really uh, important and valuable for us to uh, think about, let me pick this up, <clears throat> so um, you know whose it is? Oh, really? Ben, you just ruined it. Um um, I, I like to pick this up because um, it tells me people have been here because wherever people are, there's a mess. And, um, and as I'm about to tell you, <clears throat> um, the question that Ruth has been uh, asking and answering really is, can Naomi and Ruth find a home? Picking up that cup makes me feel at home because... There's a mess, and we get to uh, uh, pick it up and uh, to clean it up. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, I think about <clears throat> home uh, is, and I've been thinking a lot about this this fall, is, you know, what exactly constitutes my home? What exactly is it? Where do I go? Uh, uh, and I feel most at home. And so reading this text this week and 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 smelling the smells of the harvest and that kind of stuff has kind of reminded me of home. But there's there's something more in this text, and I think it's something we need to, to think a little bit about this morning about where our home is. And um and not and and don't think I'm just about to tell you, you know, your home's in heaven. You hear that from me all the time. You already knew that. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the quality of this place that we call home that's a refuge. One of the things that is going to jump out at us, and the thing that we're going to look at this morning in this extended uh, passage is conversation. What gets said? People talking to each other. In fact, most of what happens in this text is uh, conversation between Boaz and his uh, reapers and Boaz and Ruth. And so so one of the things that, that is important for us to understand is that if home equals refuge, then what is it about it that makes it that? And one of the things that makes it that is the way we talk. Uh, the quality of your home is determined not so much by its location or its color or its appliances or any of those things. Uh, it is by the quality of what's spoken there. What gets talked about? What gets what gets said? Uh, back a million years ago when I used to do uh, youth ministry and I would have uh, parents' meetings, one of the things that I would tell parents regularly is, uh, and adolescence is a hard time, a lot of conflict in homes, a lot of, a lot of difficulty. Kids got to be independent. Parents got to be anxious. And so, you, you know, you got... Uh, and they have a right to be anxious to some degree, but you have all of that going on. And what I would try to tell parents is, listen, you're in charge of the home, not the kids. But what that means is not that you're bossing everybody around, but you have the opportunity because you're in charge to provide for your kids who live in a very difficult world because it's hard to be a teenager. It's it's hard to get judged by the the number of bumps on your face or uh, the number of friends you have or the kind of phone you have or the kind of shoes you have or or that kind of stuff. So let your home be the one place where they know they can come, where they will hear words of acceptance. 
that this is the one place I can go that's safe. And uh, yes, it's safe enough that I might hear rebuke, but it is a place where I can go and I can hear uh, that I'm loved, that it's a place of blessing, and it's a place where um, where people will care for me. And so uh, that's that's an important thing. And that's kind of what the writer and in, in, in Ruth is giving us is a definition of home, a place. He is answering the question, not just that Ruth and Naomi have a place to live or they have food to eat, but they have a place of refuge where they can be blessed. Um, yesterday, Marty and I finally got around to uh, doing our wreath and our thing over our door and <clears throat> the ostentatious thing that we do, you know, we, which I think is so weird. We shine a spotlight on our front door. Really pretentious, honestly, you know, because uh, we want everybody to see our cool wreath and that kind of stuff. So I took pictures of it and, and uh, texted them to my kids to make them homesick. And uh, <laughs> on purpose, I did that because I'm like, I, you know, I want you to think about coming home. You're coming home in a few days. I want you to think about it. And I want you to know that there's somebody here who loves you, who's preparing a place for you. And, you know, I want you to pine for that a little bit. It's good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, I'll be ready for him to leave in a few weeks, but right now I'm ready for him to come home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So uh, let's 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 read this extended text today and, and look at the way and the quality of the conversations and the words uh, that are, are spoken here. Ruth chapter two, verses four through 18. Uh, this is the word of God. And we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young woman, his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. She's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. 
When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So here's the thing. So we, we, the, the whole story has been building up to this moment where we're finally going to get to see Boaz. We've been told, uh, that there's, uh, there's this man who has a relation, uh, to Naomi's husband, uh, and that he will, he's going to have some sort of role here. And we talked last week about the fact that it just so happened in the providence of God that, uh, uh, that Ruth, uh, found her way to Boaz's field. And now finally, we get the big reveal. Finally now, Boaz is on the scene, and he speaks. He talks. And, and, the, and the thing that we, we uh, need to see about this is, is that, and, and I think it's not just a, uh, it's not just a coincidence that uh, the first thing that we hear out of his mouth is a blessing. It's not just a, a, a Hebrew pleasantry that he comes up to his uh, reapers and says, the Lord be with you. Because one of the things that the Bible tells us over and over and over and over again is that what we say reveals what's in our hearts. Okay? What we say reveals what's in our hearts. Um, and what God says reveals what's in his heart. Right? So, so what I want us to do this morning is to look at the words of our main characters. And as we look at their words, one of the things that we're going to find out is what kind of people they are. What's going on in their hearts? What motivates them? What, what animates them? What, what gives them cause to do and to be the, the, the kind of people that they are, right? And so one of the things that is so rich about this is, is just the content of this conversation. And just the fact that there's there's so much humility and so much grace and so much mercy uh, that's that's going on here. It's it's a profound thing, and I think we can learn a lot about this, uh, particularly in the way in which we talk to each other, and and even more so the way in which we talk about one another, right? And so so this is a this is a, this is a great thing for us. But even more than that, it's an important thing for us to see how God speaks to us. And, and the words of the gospel that roll out of his heart and, and then out of his mouth to us to bless, uh, the undeserving, right? So, uh, let's look this morning at the words of our main characters. Now, we've already seen what's in Naomi's heart. Um, and, and the, and, and the things that we see that are in Naomi's heart is, is her honest bitterness and disappointment before the Lord. In fact, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me better. And and she uh, knows that she has an issue with God and that apparently God has an issue with her. We have a little bit of a clue of, a, of, of what's in Ruth's heart because Ruth has made this unbelievable commitment to her mother-in-law and said, where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I'll die as well. But we're going to see even more of, of who Ruth is in this interaction uh, with, with Boaz. And so... We've been waiting for Boaz. He arrives on the scene, and the author wants us to hear him. 
So his first words uttered in the story are words of blessing. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Now, um, I'm a boss. Boaz is a boss. Uh, I supervise people. I know, I guess that sounds kind of weird in this day and age, you know, you're not, but you know, the fact is I supervise people and I, they turn into me every week, what they're going to do for the week. And I look at it and I pray over it. And sometimes I go and tell them, that's not what you're going to do this week. (laughs) Uh, Or I don't want you to do that because this would be bad. Or I want you to do this because this would be good. Or I don't want you to do that this week because you need a rest. But the thing is, what we see about Boaz is, you know, Boaz is going out to the harvest. This is his land. These are his workers. And the first question he asks is not, the first thing that he says is not, you know, what's the tonnage? What's the yield per acre, fellas? How we doing? How's the harvest? Right? How's the work going? Right? That That's not the first thing he's concerned about. That's not the first thing that's on his heart and mind. Why is that? Because something else is on his heart. What's on his heart? He wants to bless those people. And so he comes to them and he says, the Lord be with you. And so it's important. The, the author is telling us something very profound about Boaz. And what he wants us to see in Boaz and what he wants us to understand about that is not just that Boaz is a great boss or that, that he's a great guy. He is those things. But Boaz should remind you of your own redeemer. Boaz should remind you of the one who who uh, carries you in his heart all the time, the one who never forgets about you, the one who watches you, the one who is with you, the one who is for you. It is no small thing that when we open the book of the Gospels and we read and we see Jesus's first preaching words, his first teaching words, when he sits down on that mountain where he takes takes uh, Moses' seat and he begins to preach and to teach the crowd that's in front of him, all of those people, all of his disciples. What's the first word out of his mouth? Blessed, blessed, blessed. And we read in the Gospels that Jesus came preaching a repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. But he calls on us to repent by telling us and by giving us the pathway to blessing, that the, 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 the God who is with us, the God who is for us, doesn't just come, but he speaks to us words of blessing. In a little bit, I hope you remember this when the time comes, but in a little bit, you will get up from your seat and you will come down front and you will take the piece of bread and you will take the cup from one of our elders and they will speak words of grace to you. They will speak words of blessing to you. And that's important. It's important because the bread nourishes us, the, the, the wine nourishes us. Yes, those things are true, but they are accompanied by the word of blessing. They are accompanied by the truth of the gospel. This God that comes and redeems us doesn't stand apart from us, but greets us with words of grace and mercy. The first thing out of his mouth is blessing on you. God be with you, right? What a, what, a, what a powerful picture for us to see first and foremost about the heart of our God, the heart of Boaz, right? What a, what a, what a, great, um, uh, what a great thing. 
But next, what I want you to see is his conversation about Ruth and with Ruth uh, and his answer uh, to her question uh, to continue that, that continues his attitude of blessing. Because one of the things that you have to see about him is he's not just a man who speaks. He comes and he blesses the workers and then he looks and he says, who's that girl? Now, one of the things that the text tells us that's not as clear in English is that that uh, Boaz is probably 20 years older or so than Ruth, maybe as much as 30. Right. And so when he asks the question, whose young woman is that? He's not he's not saying what he's saying is what family does she belong to? What what clan is she a part of? Who who is responsible for her? Right. Um, because he notices her. And one of the things that I think that the text makes clear to us that they notice about her is she's industrious. She's working. She's a worker. Uh, and, and she's getting with the program here with, with, with trying to gather up some food for she and, and her, her mother-in-law. But what, but, but what Boaz does is he goes above and beyond the law of gleaning because he says, listen, I want you to stay close to the gleaners. I want you to act like you're, 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 you're a part of my family. I want you to be treated here as you work in my field, not as a worker, but as someone who's of my household. And as you do that, and as, as you work here, I want you to get close to the women, uh, who are, uh, uh, who are harvesting. And, and, and young men, when you're harvesting and you're binding up the grain, grab some extra handfuls out of it and throw it on the ground so that Ruth can get that too. And not only that, he invites her to her table, his table, and he feeds her. So, so, so Boaz looks at her and, 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 you know, we haven't even gotten to the romantic stuff yet. We'll get to that. Boaz is a man after all. <laughs> and, and she is a pretty young girl. So we're, we'll get to that. But right now, he's just being kind. He's just being gentle. He is just from a place of, of substance and wealth. He sees someone in need and he, and he's heard the story about her and he wants to bless her. Right? Now, one of the things that is, is so profound about that is not only does he make sure that she can glean, he feeds her. And the, the text tells us twice that she goes away satisfied, that she goes away with, with more than enough. Listen, I want you to hear Jesus's words of blessing today. I want you to hear it. Oh, that is my heart's prayer for us is that we could hear Jesus tell us that he loves us and that he blesses us and that he provides for us and that he is a home for us and that he is a redeemer for us because we live in a hard and broken place and we have hard and broken hearts. We are a fearful, anxious, overwhelmed, over-busy people. And we need to hear that our Redeemer loves us and is for us. Next slide, please, Megan. So one of the things that you need to see about this is, is a story that began with famine and continued with death ends with satisfaction. It ends with satisfaction. It ends with the hungry being full. It ends with uh, the hope of this, this 
refugee girl finding a place where someone will care for her, right? So a story that began and continued with famine and death is now centered upon satisfaction and fullness. It's the story of our lives. Um, Yes, it's the story of our lives. So let's look at Ruth's question. Ruth says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me since I am a foreigner? Now, now this, stick with me on this because there's a play on words that's going on uh, in, uh, in this uh, answer and, and something really profound is being, dis, is being told to us. Because Boaz answers with, well, I'm being kind to you because I've heard all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Remarkable. Just remarkable. He, he, he means that she, you know, she has committed herself with no concern ultimately for her own husband, for her own life so that she would have a husband. She's tied herself to this bitter old widow and, and she's going to go where she goes and she's going to live where she lives. She's going to take on her God. She's going to take on her language. She's going to take on her culture so that she can serve her mother-in-law. <clears throat> remarkable, remarkable commitment. But I'm going to show you something more remarkable. Uh, and, and, and that's what makes her care of her mother-in-law possible. Because what I don't want you to, th- I don't want you to think today, uh, that somehow or other Ruth is a super saint. That somehow or other Ruth has a bigger halo than you do. Or that somehow or other Ruth has a deep spiritual insight that you lack that enabled her to do this. I'm going to tell you, and I want you to see, uh, that the secret to Ruth's service to her mother-in-law is actually her own need. Because what Boaz says is... Uh, the thing that makes it uh, uh, possible for her care of her mother-in-law is where she's hidden herself. Now, now, what I want you to know, notice about that is, he says to her, "You have under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Now, I grew up on a farm. You guys know that. Uh, you probably have never seen a baby bird take refuge under its mother. You know what happens when a baby bird takes refuge under its mother? You can't see it. It's hidden. The woman who's hiding under the wings of her eagle, the one who's hiding under the wings of God, gets noticed. Is that not... Do you get that? Do you see that? That there's something about her willingness to go and hide, her willingness to humble herself, her willingness to put herself under the care of a God she probably knows almost nothing about is the very thing that makes her attractive. The very thing that gets her noticed by Boaz, right? So she has taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And he says, you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth. You know what Boaz just said to her? You're Abraham. You're Abraham. 
Uh, look at look at what Robert Alter uh, says about this. These words are the most significant literary allusion in the book. They explicitly echo God's first words to Abraham in Genesis twelve eleven. Go forth from your land and your birthplace and your father's house. Now it's a woman and a Moabite even who reenacts Abraham's long trek from the east to Canaan. She'll become a founding mother of the nation as he was a founding father. So what Boaz is getting at here is this is really remarkable, not just that you tied yourself to your mother-in-law and, and, and not just that, uh, uh, that you've come to a strange place. Not, not that. What's really strange is that you've done this all as you've hidden yourself under the wings of a God. And honestly, I don't think Naomi is a great witness. She doesn't have great things to say about God. Don't hitch your wagon to this God, because if you do, it's going to be bad. Right? <laughs> so something's going on there where she is, is convinced that there's goodness here, that there's love here. And perhaps, perhaps, and I think we see this from her attitude is, you know what? She doesn't have another place to go. This refuge, it's so profound to her. She sees and she knows somehow or other by the spirit of God that the best place for her is to hide, to seek protection uh, under the wings of this God. Now, this is a common teaching in the Old Testament, this this hiding ourselves under wings. Next slide, please, Megan. So, for, for example, uh, uh, Psalm 57, 1 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in thee my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge. You see, notice the word for. Be merciful to me. Why? What is my case? Why do I demand mercy? Why am I asking for mercy? Because I'm taking refuge here. I don't have anywhere else to go. Hide me. Be merciful to me. So, uh, Because she sought refuge under his wings. That's why God's going to be merciful to her. She's counted his protection better than all others. She set her heart on God for hope and joy. And when a person does that, God's honor is at stake. God looks at people who come to him and say, hide me, be my refuge, protect me, love me, be merciful to me. Simply because of who you are, simply because I'm, I'm, I'm a walking, throbbing wound and, and a black hole. I need everything I can get from you. And so when a person does that, God's honor is at stake and he will be merciful. Next slide. But we must ask how Ruth's love for Naomi and her leaving her own family relate to her seeking refuge under the wings of God. Well, the fact is, because she is hiding under the refuge that is hers, because she has a place there where God is caring for her, she has a home, she has a refuge there, that frees her because she has a refuge, because she's able to humble herself to serve her mother-in-law. And so she humbles herself in finding refuge under the wings of God. And you see that when she falls on her face and she asks that question, why have I found favor? Right? Next slide. Listen. Listen. Um, you need to ask. You need to ask the question today. Why have I found favor? If you never ask that question then I would submit to you uh, that um, you're standing apart from the refuge that is yours in Jesus Christ. You are like uh, the, the Pharisee 
who watched a man pray and said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that man. I thank you that uh, I do all the right things, so I deserve it. I get your mercy. And Jesus looked at the tax collector who beat on his breast and said, Lord, have mercy to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went down justified that day. Listen, one of our biggest problems, one of my biggest problems, is my lack of spiritual power in my life. And perhaps the reason why I lack spiritual power is that I can't place myself in the refuge that is Jesus Christ and that I would prefer an independent refuge where I can stand apart and I can be noticed. Isn't that funny? Where I can be independent. And yet, because Ruth hides herself under the wings of God, that's exactly what gets her notice. Because God finds this this attitude irresistible. The scriptures tell us over and over again that he gives grace to the humble, that he gives grace to the one who's willing to hide themselves, who gives grace to the one who has no other hope, no other home, no other refuge. Grace runs downhill. That's what it does. And so so let me just ask you today and, and say to you today, you know, have you come to a place where you're willing to hide yourself and, and let God be your covering? You know, let the work of Jesus Christ, let his atoning sacrifice, let that be what what covers you. Let that be what people see. Let that be what people hear. The Lord be with you. Right. I I think that's I think that's a pretty profound thing Now, now you may be thinking today. Well, you know what, Steve, you said the world is a hard place. And. Uh, it's a difficult place and my life is hard. And for goodness sake, we just prayed this morning for uh, 60 people killed and wounded in church. What kind of refuge is that? Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you. And I want you to hear this because this is the truth. The refuge of Jesus Christ in and with him, and in and with his body is a safer place to be even when the bomb goes off because it's safer to be there than it is to be outside of his covering living in the land of the dying. So Ruth has found herself a refuge. Actually, the refuge, I think, actually found her. And she is burrowing herself underneath his protection. Today, uh, we are going to uh, eat and drink at the table of the Lord. And it is as if Jesus invites you to come. And tells you to take that bread and dip it in the wine and eat with him and go away satisfied.